Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from pigskindispatch.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And it is Rose Bowl month. We're having a great time learning about the history of the Rose Bowl, bringing in an all-star cast of guests to talk about this great historic venue for football. And uh, tonight is no exception. We have an author that's been here about a couple months ago talking about his book on Duke Slater. It's Neil Rosendahl. Welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's good to be here. Yeah, Neil, uh, we had such a great time uh, talking with, about your, your book uh, a couple months ago on Duke Slater, uh, just a great, uh, you know, collegian and a great football player. And, uh, you know, you have some other football books. And uh, tonight we'd like to talk about another one because it has a lot of ties uh, into the Rose Bowl. And I'll let you introduce the, the subject of that book and uh, some of the statistics about him. Yeah, so my uh, my most recent book uh, came out uh, a little over a year ago, and uh, it's a biography on uh, Bump Elliott. Uh, it was his name, Bump Elliott, and of course I come into it as a, uh, a Hawkeye, a University of Iowa graduate and fan, and uh, many Hawkeye fans know Bump Elliott as uh, the uh, longtime athletic director at the University of Iowa, but he had an incredible career Um uh, before that, in particular, uh, he spent a lot of time at the University of Michigan, and he really had uh, an indelible impact on two Big Ten institutions, uh, both at Michigan and at Iowa. And uh, and he also uh, had a little bit. Uh, he had uh, uh, a little bit. Spent a little bit of time at, at Purdue as well. Uh, so he had uh, all connections all around the Big Ten. But uh, probably the thing that Bump Elliott is is most known for around the Big Ten. Is that he is the only man to uh, to have participated in the Rose Bowl uh, in five different capacities. He was a player, an assistant coach, a head coach, an assistant athletic director, and a head athletic director. And in all five of those capacities, uh, he saw his school and helped uh, guide his school to the Rose Bowl. Uh, and uh, as as such, in in 1989. Uh, he was an inaugural member of the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame, the Rose Bowl 
uh, started up a Hall of Fame in 1989, and they inducted four members, and uh, Bump Elliott uh, was one of those four. So uh, he had a long, long history with the Rose Bowl. He loved the Rose Bowl, and he's an important part of its history. And uh, uh, he's a great, great man, and I, I love talking about him. And uh, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to write that book, because he's an incredibly accomplished man, uh, but also just really an outstanding guy. Wow, with uh, that many visits and that many capacities at the Rose Bowl, it's almost like uh, you know he was an employee of the Rose Bowl there that that often. So I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, can you talk a little bit about each capacity, like what team he was with and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, Bump Elliott, he 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 got his start uh, uh, collegiately, uh, actually at Purdue University. He played a couple of seasons at Purdue, and uh, it's it's interesting because his first year at Purdue, they actually went on to have an unbeaten and untied record uh, that season and finished number five in the country, which to this day is the uh, highest that uh, Purdue has ever finished in the national rankings. Uh, that's the only uh, team to finish in the top five in the nation, uh, and that was with Bump, uh, Bump Elliott at Purdue in uh, 1943 and then uh bump left for a couple of years to uh, serve in the service during world war ii he was a uh, lieutenant in the u.s marine corps and he actually spent some time in china uh serving uh, during that time and when he finished and he he was done he wound up at uh the university of michigan he came back to the states he really had no reason to go back to purdue because everybody he kind of came up with and, and through, they had all uh, been enlisted or, or had uh, been deployed. And, and there was nobody uh, sort of back there uh, that he knew. So he had no real reason to go back to West Lafayette. And his younger brother, Pete Elliott, actually had gone to Purdue, uh, had gone to Michigan, excuse me, and uh, had always sent Bump Elliott letters about how much he liked Michigan, how he liked playing there. And so Bumps uh, had said, uh, he always wanted to play with his uh, play football with his brother. Um, his brother was, you know, uh, not only was Pete Elliott Bump's younger brother, he's also really his best friend. And um, he decided to go to Ann Arbor to join him. And the Elliott brothers uh, spent uh, a couple years there at Michigan. So um, Bump was in 1947 a part of the Mad Magicians at the University of Michigan, which is one of the greatest teams, not only in Michigan football history, one of the greatest teams in college football history. And uh, that is the first time he went to the Rose Bowl. He went to the Rose Bowl, the 1948 Rose Bowl as a member of the Mad Magicians. And uh, uh, Bump Elliott was was a truly great football player um, in his day. He was a, a, a phenomenal athlete. Um, but that was really his first uh, Rose Bowl experience and his first exposure to the Rose Bowl. I was beginning in, in, in 1948 and uh, uh, a commentator many, many years later uh, said, uh, uh, commented that uh, the Rose Bowl didn't uh, begin with Bump Elliott. It just sort of seems that way. And uh, and so uh, he had a long and deep connection, but that was his first exposure to the Rose Bowl all the way back in, in 1948, the 1948 Rose Bowl. Now, what position did he play uh, at Michigan? Uh, well, it's. It's kind of a fascinating story because um, uh, he was right on on, on this transition uh, where uh, prior to World War II, players played both ways. Uh, guys played on both sides of the ball. And his team in the 1947 Michigan Wolverines 
again, they were one of the great teams in college football history. And uh, what they did was, you know, they 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 did something sort of of, of fascinating. It was Fritz Chrysler? Uh, he took advantage of some of these relaxed substitution rules that were enacted during World War II. Um, prior to World War II, uh, if a player left the game, they could not re-enter the game until a quarter had passed. That was part of the the rules of it. You couldn't just uh, have free substitution. Well, they suspended that rule during World War II because during World War II, there was a, a lack of, of, of players. Uh, most of the kids were in the service and they needed, you know, they needed warm bodies. A lot of these programs were shutting down for lack of manpower. So they said, let's just get rid of these substitution rules. So they suspended them for a while. And it was Fritz Chrysler, uh, the head coach of Michigan, really realized, you know, now that these substitution rules are 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 suspended i can platoon players i can have players play offense and a whole different group of players play defense and in 1947 uh michigan had just a wealth of of athletic talent uh there were a bunch of guys who came back from the war and they had you know almost too many players so fritz chrysler solved this problem by having players play on both sides uh instead of having players play on both sides of the ball he platooned them he had an offensive unit and a defensive unit and that was really the first time that had been tried at sort of a major level in college football history. Um, what's interesting about uh, about that whole setup is Bump Elliott was the only player on the Michigan football team who still played on both sides of the ball for the entire year. So at the beginning of the year, there were two players, Bump Elliott and Jack Weisenberger, who played on both sides of the ball. Um, with every change of possession – Nine guys would go off the field and then nine new players would come onto the field, you know, offense and defense, they'd switch. Jack and Bump Elliott were the only two who sort of stayed on the field. Well, by the middle of the season, Jack Weisenberger, he got a little bit dinged up. And so they decided to substitute for him as well. So by the end of the year, uh, you know, and in the 1948 Rose Bowl, on every change of possession, 10 players would come off the field and 10 new players would come onto the field and join Bump Elliott, who was always on the field. Bump played uh, halfback on the uh, offensive side of the ball, and then he was a defensive back on the defensive side of the ball. So he was still one of those players who played both ways. For a team that did not have many players who played both ways, Bump was one of the, the few guys that did it. And so uh, that's why at the end of the year, he was named the uh, most valuable player of the 1947 Mad Magicians and the Big Ten MVP of the 1947 season because he was valuable to the team because he played both ways. For him, if you lost Bump Elliott, you'd lose a great offensive player and a great defensive player. So uh, that was sort of the uh, the magic of the Mad Magicians was they really were one of the first teams to take advantage of sort of the platoon system of going offense and defense. Okay. Yeah, that's a great story, like you said. So they're sort of the ones that made it uh, in vogue to have double platoons coming in. So now, okay, so you mentioned that they went to the Rose Bowl there, that 47 team. So it would have been the 1948 Rose Bowl. How, how Who did they play in and how'd they do in that game? Uh, they played USC and they did pretty well. They won 49 to nothing. Um, I'd, they, I'd say uh, that's pretty well. <laughs> the 1947 season was interesting because Michigan and Notre Dame both uh, did not play each other. And this was back when Michigan and Notre Dame hated each other. They had this rivalry where they would not play. But they both wound up winning games, blowing out opponents. And 
you know, they were both undefeated and the Associated Press poll was sort of toggling back and forth who's number one in the country. One week it was Michigan. The next week it was Notre Dame. It just depended on who had a good game that week. Notre Dame wound up finishing number one in the nation on the final uh, after their, their regular season finale. Notre Dame then, as they often did, finished the regular season against USC. And they beat USC convincingly. And uh, the Associated Press put Notre Dame number one. Now, that was back in the day when uh, the AP poll stopped at the end of the regular season. So the AP poll was done. And Notre Dame did not go to a bowl game. They were an independent and so forth. But Michigan got to go to the Rose Bowl. They qualified. They were undefeated. And lo and behold, they played the uh, Pacific Coast champion, which was USC. And uh, they were very motivated to beat uh, USC by a larger score than Notre Dame had. Notre Dame beat them, I believe, something like 38 to 17 or something. And uh, Michigan came out there and uh, put it on USC and wound up winning 49 to nothing, which tied the record for the most lopsided uh, uh, result in Rose Bowl history, uh, going back to the very first Rose Bowl, which Michigan won over Stanford by an identical 49 to nothing score. And so uh, they actually did something unprecedented. The AP decided to revote uh, afterwards in sort of an unofficial capacity. Uh, and in the revote, Michigan was actually voted number one by two to one margin over Notre Dame, which they immediately said this is unofficial. Notre Dame is still our national champion. But most historians looking back on the 1947 season uh, award sort of a split national title between Michigan and Notre Dame. And it, it was always sort of uh, viewed as uh, one of the great games that never took place. Who would have won in 1947, Michigan or Notre Dame? It's one of the great debates in sports history. But um, but yeah, uh, Michigan obviously did uh, very well. And Bump Elliott had a, a great experience in his, uh, his first appearance in the Rose Bowl. He caught a touchdown pass and uh, uh, enjoyed uh, a lopsided victory over the Trojans. Wow, very, very nice. That, that yeah, that was a great team, like you said. So it would have been interesting to see those two teams play too. So okay, so there's one capacity that Bump Elliott's in there. So so what what comes up next for in his career going to the Rose Bowl? Well, he was uh, uh like I said, he was a great player. He played uh, he actually played three sports at Michigan. He also played uh basketball and baseball. He's actually a very talented baseball player. But um he uh, back in those days, they had what was called the college all-star game, which in the college all-star game, basically the uh, uh, the departing senior class across college football would assemble an all-star team and they play uh, an exhibition game in Chicago against the reigning NFL champions. So the team that won the most recent NFL championship would play uh, this team of college all-stars. And uh, Bump Elliott uh, joined the, the college all-star team. He was um, actually named the captain of the college all-star team in 1948. Uh, so he's the captain of the team, uh, but Bump uh, was injured in a, uh, a practice in a scrimmage uh, a couple of days before the game and was not able to actually play in the game. He suffered a bad knee injury, uh, which uh, caused him to be hospitalized. He had to have surgery on his knee. And uh, long story short, any professional football career was sort of out the window. He had been drafted by the Detroit Lions, uh, and they certainly had some interest in him. But he decided professional football is not for me. And then he kind of looked, what, what's, where's my career going to take me? And uh, he sort of fell into what a lot of great athletes fall into, which is coaching. And uh, he was given an opportunity to uh, uh, coach. He's offered an assistant coaching position. 
uh, at Oregon State. He spent three years at Oregon State as an assistant coach. Uh, what was kind of fun about that was when he started at Oregon State, he was an assistant coach, and his younger brother Pete was also an assistant coach on the same staff. So he and Pete were assistant coach on the, on the same staff for two years. And then Bump wanted to come back to the Midwest. That was where his family was. And he was offered an opportunity to become an assistant coach at the University of Iowa under Forrest Evashevsky. Forrest Evashevsky uh, was named the head coach at Iowa. Forrest Evashevsky was a Michigan man. Uh, he had played at Michigan uh, several years before um, – Bump Elliott. He played uh, when uh, Tom Harmon was there. But um, uh, Forrest Evashevsky, he uh, was filling out his coaching staff. He needed an assistant coach. He knew of Bump Elliott and uh, hired Bump as his assistant coach. So uh, after a few years, uh, Bump served as, a, as an assistant for five years uh, at the University of Iowa. And in his fifth and final season in Iowa City, uh, Forrest Evashevsky was able to help guide the Hawkeyes to the 1956 Big Ten title and to the 1957 Rose Bowl. And uh, the Hawkeyes knocked off Ohio State in the final game of the uh, the Big Ten season and uh, clinched a uh, Big Ten title. And the Hawkeyes went out to Pasadena. And uh, as uh, as luck would have it, the Hawkeyes played Oregon State, which was the, uh, the team that uh, Bump had uh, been an assistant for uh, several years earlier. But uh, the Hawkeyes were able to uh, come away with a victory over Oregon State. And uh, Bump Elliott was, uh, went to the uh, Rose Bowl in his second capacity as an assistant coach uh, in 1957. Wow, okay. And so you gained a, a second victory, too, a second visit, a uh, different capacity, and a, a big win for Iowa. 35-19 is the score of that uh, Rose Bowl. So, wow. So that, that's that's got to be pretty cool to, to go back to the same stadium and, and you know, get two victories there. Okay. So now little did he know that maybe he'd be going there again. So what's, what's his third capacity to visit the Rose Bowl in? Well, so Bump Elliott was considered to be one of the top coaching prospects in the country uh, as an assistant coach. He, he was a great recruiter, phenomenal recruiter. And, uh, you know, Evashevsky always said that, uh, uh, if he was trying to close the deal on, uh, on a recruit, he just tried to get Bump Elliott uh, uh, alone with one on one with the recruit's mother. He's like, and Bump Elliott would sell her on uh, having sending her son to Michigan. He's like, that's all I needed to do. Bump Bump Elliott was the closer. Like he was, uh, he was, he was very charming. He was well spoken. He was well dressed. He was good looking. He he was very humble about his achievements, but also people knew he was one of the uh, the great football players of his time. He was an All American and so forth. And so uh, a lot of people thought, you know, he might be a potential successor at Iowa to uh, succeed Forrest Evashevsky as head coach, should Forrest Evashevsky ever decide to, to get out of coaching. But uh, Bump really had his choice of, of, of jobs, and he was called back to his alma mater. Uh, he wound up going back to the University of Michigan as an assistant coach under Benny Oosterbahn, and uh, who is his position coach when he played? And uh, uh, it was ne- there was never any formal agreement. But when he went to Michigan, it was pretty well known that he was a potential head coach in waiting. And a couple of years later, when Oosterbond stepped down, Bump Elliott was named the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, uh, beginning in the 1959 season. Uh, 
Uh, he was very young to be a coach. He was only in his 30s at that point, but he was the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, one of the story programs in college football history. And it seems like being the head coach of Michigan, boy, he had it all, you know, he just had, you know, the world at his feet and the world was his oyster. Uh, in truth, Michigan was a bit of a, a dumpster fire. I mean, it was, it, the, the Michigan program was in a bit of disarray. Um, when he took over, uh, the 1958 Michigan football team had given up more points than any team in the history of Michigan football. They were a bad defensive team. Uh, uh, they had only won, uh, two games all year, uh, both of those games by one point, uh, and they were senior laden teams. They were losing most of their talent. Um, as bad as they were defensively, offensively, they were, they're actually worse, um, because, they were running the single wing offense, which by that time was kind of antiquated. And part of the reason why Michigan wanted to hire Bump Elliott is because they wanted Bump to install uh, uh, the wing T offense that Evashevsky had used to great success at Iowa. And he had learned that uh, under Forrest Evashevsky. But uh, the one thing that I always talk, talk about with with Bump at Michigan is it's, it's, it's hard for people to believe, but Michigan did not believe in recruiting. They didn't believe in recruiting. They 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 believed that uh, uh, Fritz Chrysler, who at that time was the athletic director, said that uh, he 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 hated the thought of the uh, the school cho choosing the boy instead of the boy choosing the school. And uh, so they didn't believe in recruiting. But, you know, who did believe in recruiting was Woody Hayes at Ohio State and uh, Duffy Doherty at Michigan State. And they were really starting to beat Michigan up on the field because they were taking all the best talent. And Bump came in. And he said, "Look, guys, we got to recruit. If we don't recruit, we're not, we're, you know, we're not going to get anywhere." And you know, for him to walk in and say that was a huge change. But also, you can't just walk in and say, "Okay, we're recruiting now." This was there wasn't Rivals.com. There wasn't how do you find recruits? Well, the way you found recruits in those days was. You had alumni in various cities essentially scouting talent for you and trying to find where all the best talent was. Michigan didn't have any of that apparatus set up. And, they, you know, when Bump took over at Michigan, he said, look, guys, it's going to be a five. I'm going to need five years to rebuild this program. And nobody questioned it because that's how far behind Michigan was uh, on the curve in terms of competing with, with these, with these bigger schools. It's, it's, it's amazing to think now, but again, there wasn't the portal. You couldn't turn programs around that quickly. Freshmen weren't eligible. Like even if you recruited a kid to campus, he had to wait a year before he could even play. Like this was going to be a huge rebuilding job. And, and they took their lumps for the first few years, but uh as fate would have it in bumps sixth season, he had five years where they kind of tried to turn the program around. And in season number six, uh, the 1964 Wolverines pulled off uh, a tremendous season. Um, they were a great team in 1964. Uh, uh, it's 1964 Michigan team. They, um, they lost one game that by a single point, 21, uh, 20 to Purdue. Uh, they Michigan scored a touchdown late in the game. Went for two in the win. They could have had the tie because in those days there was no overtime. They could have kicked the extra point, gotten a tie, and stayed undefeated. They went for two in the win because they said, we're going to win, and 
play came up short, so they wound up losing by one. But uh, uh, they wound up winning the Big Ten title outright, capped off by a uh, memorable uh, victory in uh, Columbus, Ohio, uh, over Woody Hayes and Ohio State for the Big Ten title. They won the de facto Big Ten title game, seventeen to nothing, over Ohio State, which sent them to the uh, to the Rose Bowl. And Bump, in his third capacity, this time as the head coach at Michigan. Uh, he went back to the Rose Bowl, and would you believe, lo and behold, faced Oregon State again. <laughs> Faces a whole uh, the old team he coached, and uh, the team he he uh, beat as an assistant coach at Iowa. And uh, they went to play Ohio State, or, or excuse me, Oregon State in the uh, in the Rose Bowl, and they won this one decisively. Uh, they won uh, that one in a lopsided manner, and Bump Elliott uh, in helping guide Michigan. Uh, to a win in the 1965 Rose Bowl, Bump became the only man in Big Ten history to win a Rose Bowl uh, as a player and then go on and lead that same Big Ten team to a Rose Bowl victory as a coach. So he was able to win for the same Big Ten team as both a player and a coach, and he was the only man in Big Ten history uh, to do so, and I believe the only, still the only man in Big Ten history to record Rose Bowl wins as a, a player and a coach of the same Big Ten team. A couple have done it uh, on the Pac-12 side, but Bump's the only one who, who's ever done that as a Big Ten coach, and that was uh, a huge victory for him and, and and really one of the great teams in Michigan history. Yeah, wow. Okay, so so now he's 3-0 and uh, in his visits to the Rose Bowl with teams he's involved with. So he's got a pretty good record going here with the, the Rose Bowl. <laughs> you know, I can see why he wanted to keep going back. All right, so so tell us about his fourth capacity going to the Rose Bowl. Yes, well, he continued to coach for several more years, but really, uh, once once you know th- they won, and then he kind of turned the program around. He had really turned his attention to what's my next move, and he did not want he he's not someone who wanted to be in coaching forever. A lot of coaches in in those days felt it was a young man's profession, and um, he he started to think, well, well, what am I going to do next? And what he really felt was his next career move was to go into athletic administration and was to become uh, uh, go into the front office and be an athletic director. So Bump, having been at Michigan and having been a star at Michigan, um, I think the, the athletic director of Michigan at that time was Fritz Chrysler. And I think, you know, Fritz Chrysler had been the head coach at Michigan before he became athletic director. And uh, prior to Fritz Chrysler becoming Michigan's AD, the previous athletic director was Fielding Yost, who's also the head football coach turned athletic director. So I think there was a lot of thought that, you know, Bump Elliott as the head head football coach might be in a position to become the athletic director and succeed uh, Fritz Chrysler as Michigan's athletic director when Chrysler stepped down. And I think, he never really publicly came out and say, said that, but everything I've gathered is that is really kind of the job he wanted. That was really what he saw himself potentially becoming was the athletic director at the University of Michigan and maybe trying to help lead them to a, a, a Rose Bowl again. He'd done it as a player, done it as a coach. Maybe he could do it as an athletic director. But um, in 1968, Chrysler had announced he was going to retire. Michigan was looking for a successor. And... Bump was considered by some to be a favorite uh, to potentially get that job. But 
Michigan decided to throw a curveball, and instead of hiring Bump, they hired uh, Don Canham, who was then the track coach, but who also ran a uh, a multi-million dollar uh, sporting goods business. And sort of that business background was kind of what I think attracted them to Canham over Bump Elliott. Bump Elliott was a very stable, steady personality, Um, whereas Canham was uh, a butt kicker. A mover and a shaker and a guy to shake things up. And I think there was a sense at Michigan that things had gotten a little bit stagnant um, there and they wanted uh, a little more energy. And so they decided to hire Don Canham and they hired him prior to the 1968 football season. So Bump coached it at, at Michigan for the 1968 season. He, he finished that year uh, for them. Again, they hired Canham right before a spring practice was opening. Bump stayed on for that 1968 season. But after that 68 season, uh, he did something remarkable. You would think that having been turned down for sort of his dream job, the athletic director at the University of Michigan, you'd think there'd be a little bit of uh, animosity there that Bump Elliott would sort of say, heck with you, you know, heck with Michigan. But that's not who Bump Elliott was. He was such a good guy and a selfless guy. He was not a guy with a lot of ego. He went to Don Canham after the season. He basically said to Don, can I be your number two? Can I be your assistant athletic director? And Don Cannon was like, uh, absolutely. Don Cannon knew as well as anybody that, uh, you know, Bump Elliott was as qualified for his job as he was. So Don Cannon's like, I'd love to have you as my number two and, and, and put you on staff here. He said, if we can find a good football coach, it's done. And uh, it was Bump Elliott who said, well, Let's look for initial successors. And Bump Elliott is the one who put in a call down to Miami of Ohio to Bo Schembechler. He picked up Bo Schembechler at the airport and uh, hosted him in his house, drove him around town, showed him around Ann Arbor. And uh, it was really Bump who vouched for uh, Canham to Bo and for Bo to Canham in the sense of saying, you know, he told uh, Don Canham, I think this Bo Schembechler is a good coach. I think he's, he's the kind of guy who could succeed here. And he also told Bo Schembechler, who was concerned about uh, uh, Canham being a new athletic director, he said, listen, Don Canham is going to be – he's going to be the kind of athletic director who's going to get you what you want. He's going to be the kind of athletic director who's going to be able to help you build a program, which, you know, Bump didn't always have access to the resources that uh, that some, you know, other uh, 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 athlete, uh, coaches had. And so – um, Bo Schembechler was named as the uh, Bump Elliott successor in uh, beginning of the 1969 season. Uh, Bo Schembechler came and uh, took over for Bump, who became happily became the assistant athletic director. And uh, there's always been uh, talk or thought that uh, maybe Bump was pushed out. Uh, people have always suggested, well, maybe Bump Elliott was fired. But that was not at all the case. Bump was ready to move into athletic direction, uh, athletic administration. He wanted to become an athletic director and he was just, you know, he, he thought it was the right time to move out of coaching. And what he left Bo Schembechler was a team that was loaded. I mean, he left Bo Schembechler a team that was loaded with talent and bump Elliott's final year uh, in 1968, the team went eight and two. They, uh, they played for the big 10 title against Ohio state. Um, and uh, 
he left a lot of talent for Bo Schembechler. He had a very, very talented, maybe one of the most talented recruiting classes in the country coming in. Uh, and, you know, that 1969 Michigan team was set up for success. But Bo Schembechler took over and just uh, took off with them. Um, again, part of the reason that uh, 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 Bumps, people have, you know, people have, have uh, underestimated Bumps' tenure at, as, a, as a head coach and sort of looked down on it. Um, Bumps' final game against Ohio State, uh, Michigan and Ohio State were both playing for the uh, for the Big Ten title, and it was Bump and Woody Hayes, and the, you know it was it was it was a good game for the first half. I mean, it was fourteen fourteen going. A minute before halftime, Ohio State scored just before the break. Ohio State goes up 24 to 14 um, going into halftime. In the third quarter, Ohio State gets another touchdown and they go up 24 to uh, 27 to 14 going into the fourth. And uh, Bump says, Well, this is for the Big Ten title. This is for a shot to go to the Rose Bowl. This is a shot for potentially to play for a national title. He starts calling for passes, like desperately passing the football. And, um, uh, you know, he's taking risky chances to try to win the game against all odds. Well, what happens is Ohio State picks off these risky passes and Ohio State winds up scoring a bunch of touchdowns and, and sort of putting it on Michigan. And the final score looks much more lopsided than the competitiveness that was that game. But that game is always remembered because uh, Michigan wound up winning, uh, scored a touchdown in the final seconds of the game. Michigan goes ahead 50 to 14. And Woody Hayes goes for two and doesn't get it, but Ohio State wins 50 to 14. And according to legend, this is never actually verified by anybody, but the story that emerged from that was someone asking Woody Hayes, why did you go for two up 40 to 14? And Woody Hayes' response was because I couldn't go for three. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that that's just become sort of, one of the classic lines in terms of the Michigan-Ohio State animosity that exists and also kind of shows a little bit something about Woody Hayes. Like he was not afraid of running up the score on uh, a guy like Bump Elliott who would never run up the score on anybody. I mean, Bump Elliott was a gentleman who would, you know, when he had an opportunity to run up the score uh, in 64, and he did not do that because that's not who uh, Bump Elliott was. But um, it was uh, – uh, a notable game because the following year, of course, Bump steps down. Bo Schembechler takes over. The following year, Ohio State and Michigan are playing again for the Big Ten title. And Schembechler reminded his team repeatedly of the 50-14 to 14 loss and of how Woody Hayes ran up the score on him. And uh, Michigan was able to turn the tables, knock off Ohio State in what was considered the upset of the century. And uh, Michigan beats Ohio State. Michigan gets to go to the Rose Bowl, clinches the Big Ten title. It was one of the great victories in college football history and Michigan football history, certainly. And uh, after the game, Bo Schembechler awarded the game ball to Bump Elliott. He brought Bump Elliott in and he gave Bump the game ball. And he said, you know, I won with your guys. I won with your team, basically. Because remember, freshmen were ineligible. Every single player for the 1969 Michigan football team was recruited to Ann Arbor by Bump Elliott. They came to Ann Arbor to play for Bump, but it was Bo who took them to the uh, took to the Big Ten title and took them to the Rose Bowl. They went to the 1970 Rose Bowl. Bump, in his uh, capacity as assistant athletic director, 
uh, went to the Rose Bowl. This one was not as successful as his previous three visits. Bo Schembechler actually suffered a heart attack on the uh, eve of the game and was not able to coach. Um, and uh, what's what's fascinating about it is, is there was a little bit of whispers, talk of with Bo, with Bo Schembechler not being able to coach the team, maybe Bump could coach the team. Like maybe Bump would, uh, you know, maybe Bump would serve as the interim. In the, and there'd be a chance for Bump to have his last game be something that wasn't the 50 to 14 blowout, you know, that was in fact uh, Bump's last game. But, uh, but Bump said, you know what, this isn't my team. It's not my place to, uh, to do that. And so uh, Bump had uh, one of his coordinators uh, serve as the uh, uh, interim coach for the Rose Bowl, but Michigan facing USC uh, did suffer their first ever Rose Bowl defeat in that game. But, Nevertheless, Bump was able to, as an assistant athletic director, uh, visit the Rose Bowl and go to Pasadena for the fourth time uh, in 1970. Yeah, and that, that was a pretty close game too. It was a 10 to three score, so a lot of great defense was played in that game. So, yeah, it wasn't like they got blown out or anything. They were in it till the end. So, huh. all right. So, well, they're, you they're... can imagine what it'd be like to have your head coach suffer a heart attack on the eve of the game. I mean, this was. Not, not the best circumstance for Michigan to play its uh, uh, Rose Bowl game against U- USC. So they hung in there, but uh, ultimately they did take a loss, which was Michigan's first loss in the Rose Bowl. And that is something that, uh, you know, uh, Bump had, had – he never noted it, but it was well known before the game. When Bump was the head coach uh, in the 1965 Rose Bowl, there was a tremendous amount of pressure because Michigan had never lost a Rose Bowl. Michigan had won all their pre- – and. Bob Belly did not want to be the first head coach to come out of there with a loss. And so to win, that was a big, uh, a big thing. But, uh, uh, but yeah, a few years later, uh, Michigan obviously did lose with, with Jim Beckler in the hospital recovering from a heart attack, Michigan suffered their first Rose bowl loss, but nevertheless to go in a fourth capacity was, uh, uh, was a, a heck of a thing for Bob. Okay. I mean, de- definitely another great visit though. And anytime you get to go to California and, uh, in, in the middle of winter, that's a, always a good time. So, <laughs> Okay, so what what's his fifth capacity, and what what happened there? Well, yeah, so Bump was the, only the assistant athletic director at Michigan for about a year and a half. Um, people quickly realized that uh, he'd make a great athletic director as well, and I actually think Bump probably would have stayed at Michigan as an assistant athletic director for a while. Um, you know, he might have stayed there for some time potentially because. You know, for everything that happened, he didn't have any animus toward the University of Michigan, despite the fact that they sort of passed him over for the for the athletic director chair. But in the summer of 1970, uh, the University of Iowa had a vacancy at athletic director. Forrest Evashevsky, who had been head coach at Iowa when Bump was an assistant coach there, uh, Evie had stepped down as a head coach and become the athletic director. Forrest Evashevsky is a phenomenal coach, one of the great coaches in college football history. Led the Hawkeyes to two Rose Bowl victories, um, a share of a mythical national championship in 1958. I mean, Forrest Evashevsky was a great coach, although he had a very short coaching tenure. Um, He retired as a coach to become the athletic director, and his tenure as athletic director was uh, not as successful. He was a divisive athletic director, uh, particularly with his head football coaches, there was sort of a a real atmosphere in the program of you support me, 
the head coach or you support uh, the football. Uh, you support me as athletic director or you support my football coach. Um, there was a divisiveness there. There was um, uh, a lot of dis- disharmony. And to the extent that his football coaches, you know, actively ac- accused him of actively undermining them. And it led to uh, Forrest Evashevsky's resignation as athletic director at Iowa in the summer of 1970. And it was actually Evie who, in one of his first interviews after resigning, has said, they should bring in Bump Elliott. And uh, the president at the University of Iowa at the time uh, said that was the first time he thought, oh, Bump Elliott. I, you know, everyone remembered Bump from having been an assistant coach at Iowa. Everybody loved Bump Elliott. Everybody remembered that, uh, uh, you know, people had talked about him maybe being Evie's successor as head football coach. Everybody loved Bump. He was a guy that got along with everybody. And it was thought that Bump Elliott would be the perfect guy to bring together the football side, the football coaching side, as well as the Evie side, which is the Michigan, you know, the Michigan side and so forth. He'd be able to sort of bring everybody together. They thought Bump would kind of be that unifier that uh, that Iowa needed at that time. And uh, again, you remember at Michigan, they passed Bump Elliott over as athletic director because they needed a mover and a shaker and somebody to really kind of. But Bump was just a very stable, calming influence. Well, that's what Iowa needed. Because Iowa's athletic department was kind of, you know, it was divided and it was it was a house torn. And Bump came in and uh, was offered the job. And from Bump Elliott's pers- uh, perspective, he said, you know, he had a lot of personal and professional friends in Iowa City that he'd known from his coach from his assistant coaching days. Uh, his wife, Barbara, had actually said, you know, we came back to I- Iowa City uh, when Bump was hired as athletic director and I went back to my old bridge club and they welcomed me right back in. And there was all the same players that there were since we left town 15 years ago. So it, uh, Bump knew a lot of people personally and professionally in Iowa city. And that made the Iowa job as athletic director, uh, particularly appealing to him. And it was a chance for him to run his own program, which was exciting. And the Michigan people kind of gave him a hard time, of course, as you might expect going to a rival. They basically said, well, why are you going to Iowa? I will never win. By 1970, Iowa was kind of seen as, uh, you know, they were they were kind of in the basement of the Big Ten, you know. And the Michigan folks said, "Why, you know, Bump, why are you going to Iowa? Iowa will never be successful. And Bump Elliott said, no, you're wrong. I was there when we went to the Rose Bowl. He's like, we, went, we were successful before and we can be successful again. So he had had that taste of success at Iowa as an assistant under Evie. He knew Iowa could do it again. Well – it took some doing. It took a while. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Bump Elliott hired two football coaches, um, Frank Lauderburn and Bob Cummings, um, neither of whom were uh, able to get Iowa uh, much success. And he wound up having to fire both. And uh, in 1979, he had an opportunity to hire his third football coach. And he hired uh, uh, a guy who wasn't very well known outside of the state of Texas, uh, a coach from North Texas by the name of Hayden Fry. And uh, he hired Hayden Fry and brought him up to Iowa. And uh, he uh, he publicly told the, uh, uh, you know, the reporters and his bosses, he says, this is the last football coach I'll ever hire. And Hayden, Hayden Fry a- afterwards asked Bump, he said, why did you say I'm the last football coach you'll ever hire? And Bump said, you're the third football coach I'm hiring now. I've hired two and I had to fire them both. 
He's like, if you don't work out, neither will I. And basically he was saying, if you get fired, they're going to fire. They're going to be looking for a new athletic director too. So uh, he was obviously very hopeful Hayden Fry would work out. And for those who know uh, uh, college football and Hayden Fry's impact, uh, he certainly worked out at the University of Iowa. He turned the Hawkeye football program around. Um, he Hayden actually led the Hawkeyes to three Rose Bowls uh, in uh, after the 1981, 1985, and 1990 seasons. Um, he actually led Iowa to three Rose Bowls. So uh, that uh, in 1981, the Hawkeyes were able to break through, go to the Rose Bowl in – fairly improbable fashion and uh he was able to go back uh, bump was able to go back to the rose bowl in his fifth capacity uh as athletic director and uh iowa again they lost all three of those rose bowls under hayden fry they weren't able to win one for him as an athletic director uh but it's also interesting to note that when bump went uh in as i was athletic director after the 1990 season bump was the uh athletic director at iowa uh the 1991 rose bowl Bump uh, had managed to participate in the Rose Bowl in six different decades. He'd gone to the Rose Bowl in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s by going to the 1991 Rose Bowl. So, again, he was someone who was a, a fairly constant presence uh, in Pasadena and uh, really had a remarkable run of success there, despite the fact that uh, in the athletic director chair, uh, his coaches could never bring home a victory in the Rose Bowl. Wow, that, that really is amazing. I didn't think of that six decades. That's great, great stuff, Neil. Now, I guess that uh, you know you you wet our appetite. Why don't you give us the name of your book and where folks can can get it at? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my book, uh, like I said, I wrote a biography on Bump Elliott. It's entitled "Bump Elliott: The Best of College Athletics," and uh, it can be found on uh, most booksellers like Amazon.com or Barnes and Noble, or you can buy it directly from me. I'd love that. Uh, if anybody wants to buy it straight from me, I'm always welcoming of that. You can go to uh, bumpelliot.com, uh, bump uh, Elliot, Elliot, two L's, two T's. Uh, Elliot's a hard one to spell, but to bumpelliot.com, you can go there and uh, find the book for sale there. And I'd be happy to uh, sell you a copy, sign a copy to you and, and, and what have you. But um, it was a really fun project to do. Uh, to write uh, a book about such an incredible guy who, again, has such an amazing history at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Uh, wow. I, I can tell you're very passionate about him and uh, you know, you, your your knowledge of him is uh, very extensive. And we we're really are glad that you shared it with us today and uh, you know help us celebrate this Rose Bowl month. Because, you know, what what a better figure than Bump Elliott to celebrate the Rose Bowl with six decades. You know, that's that's, uh, you know, 60 percent of the all the Rose Bowls right there. <laughs> he was involved in. So at his time, probably more higher percentage than that. So. Great, great stuff. And I really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us today, Neil. Yeah, no, it was great. Thanks for having me. And uh, uh, I always love talking about Bump because, you know, the thing about Bump Elliott was he was really the subtitle of the book, The Best of College Athletics. He really believed in college athletics. And he said, you know, I spent my my entire career in college sports. He didn't intend it that way, but he wound up spending his whole career in, in college athletics. And he really believed in in what it what it could be and essentially what it you know, what it could be in terms of a positive experience for uh, for the people, not only the uh, uh, the athletes who go on to play professionally, but those who don't and uh, who wind up, you know, learning lessons in, in teamwork and leadership from it, who go on to uh, to be successful in business lives, professional careers and whatever else. He believed in college athletics. And I know 
you know, as sports evolves, there becomes increasing cynicism uh, in that. Uh, but he never shared that. He always believed that uh, that uh, college athletics was special, and that the Rose Bowl was a special part of college athletics. And so, you know, it's uh, it was it was great to uh, to write about someone who, again, not only was a great professional, but also I interviewed over sixty people for the book who knew him at various uh, points in his life. And this is the honest truth: nobody had a bad thing to say about Bump Elliott. They all, you know, as a as a professional, as a person. Um, you know, you would think someone would be upset with him sometime about something, but he was just, he was such a classy guy, such a dignified guy. And he carried himself, uh, uh in such an impressive way that, uh, he was, he was the kind of guy who really represents what college athletics is all about, what college athletics should be about. So it was, uh, it was, it was a fun project to do for sure. Uh, sounds like a, a phenomenal hu- human being and great football person. And uh, sure glad that uh, you did all that work and uh, recorded the history of, of this great man in, in college football and football history in general and uh, have it in your book. So, so thank you for preserving that football history. No, absolutely. And thanks for having me on. I love talking about it. So I, uh, I appreciate having an outlet like this to, uh, to talk about, uh, talk about this stuff. It's, it's, it's wonderful and I appreciate what you do. Oh, well, th- thank you. And uh, we hope to have you on again real soon on some other topics, which we'll talk about here later. So thanks a lot, Neil Rosendahl uh, and his book on Bump Elliott. Once again, uh, why don't you give the title one more time, Neil? It's uh, Bump Elliott, The Best of College Athletics. And you can find it uh, online uh, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or at bumpelliot.com. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. 
is found right here on the Sports History Network.